Welcome to another episode of Stalking Carpenter. Come on, Jeremy, come in with the bass. That's what everybody's coming here for, man. That's it. It's funny because they, uh, they just heard the intro i assume and, yes and for some reason we just were like well let's just do it again well because we don't hear the intro when we're recording it because we're professionals yeah we're we reminiscent we're not, of it yeah we're not True. doing this you're right um i'm your host for today mike burge uh as always on stark and carpenter this is a john carpenter retrospective series we are covering the filmography of the great uh jay carp himself jonathan mr J. they call him Mr. J. Uh, and along for the ride, as always, with me is my co-host, Robert Anderson. Hey, how you doing, Mike? And I'm doing good. Robbie, how are you? I'm right. I'm chilling. That's great. Yeah, you're wearing a really nice shirt there. That's nice. Yeah, you can't see the bleach stains on it, but that's by design. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about while we just completely ignore uh, the special guest that we have today? <laughs> or um, I like your shirt as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. It is a big cock. It's a big cock. It's a green. It's a good like uh, like olive green, almost like a yep. like a military green. I like that. Mm-hmm. And Burge, your your stash is coming in very nicely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it sucks. Uh, I don't go out that often, so people don't get to see it. And when I do go out, I gotta wear a face mask, so people aren't. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're not getting the joke. I'm, I'm they also don't understand why I'm so happy. The, the hilarious joke that's going the hilarious, on. Hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. Joke. I'm also surprised about how well your hair has been kept. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I uh, buzz it myself. You okay. know, can't help. Gotta just gotta keep it down. You know, that's it. Just gotta keep it down. You don't have you know, that quarantine uh, haircut that most people have. No, no, I have less hair than most anyway, so it's a lot easier to kind of wrangle and and get to stay in the in the pen. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, but that's enough of haircut corner uh, here on Stalking Carpenter. Uh, moving right along, we have a very special guest today. Uh, the first two episodes that we did, we covered. Um, Assault on Precinct 13 and Halloween, and then we also covered Carpenter's uh, student film turned into feature-length film Dark Star, along with The Fog. But now, now, ladies and gentlemen, we are breaking into the good shit. Now, that is not to say that Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, Dark Star, and The Fog are not good shit. Some of them are great shit. But now we're going to start really getting into John Carpenter is solidified as a director to watch and he comes right out of the cage with Escape from New York, followed immediately the next year by The Thing, both covered by Kurt Russell. So, uh, both covered by Kurt Russell? Yeah, you can he say, talked yeah, about him. He not? talked about him from time to time. <laughs> and uh, to celebrate this momentous occasion of these two awesome movies, we have a fellow film snob, Jeremy Kalajewski, with up? us today to talk about these movies. I, How are you doing, Jeremy? I prefer the term film guru. But you know, film, sure you would. <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually what film snobs say. Yeah, they all prefer what, to be called what, film gurus. <laughs> that's what they would do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're all film gurus here. Yeah, all of us. Exactly. Sure. I'm doing um, all right. Thank you. Ha- thank you for having me. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, uh, it's a lot of fun doing these, you know, uh, the crux of the show being what it was, what I just explained. Ravi, uh, up until a couple days ago, had not seen either of these movies, correct, Ravi? Which is this a is true yeah. travesty, yeah. but you know. So it's, it a, hey, he's a monster. He's a little beast. And we're trying to, instead of just taking him out to pasture and killing him, we're going to educate him and we're going to, we're going to talk to him and see how he feels. He's seen do. a lot of hentai though. Okay. So that's true. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I think. A lot of hentai can really be traced back to John Carpenter's The Thing, but that's not that's oh. neither here nor there. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, but Jeremy, you are a fellow uh, Carpenter nut, right? Oh, you, yeah, big time. We, we've, we've talked about John Carpenter a lot. You're a big horror boy. You're one of the main horror boys at StoryScreenPeacon.com, an amazing website that you should visit, listener. But of course, you visited it before because you're a member, and that's why you're listening to this. Thank you so much for... Uh, uh, helping us out and uh, supporting us and listening to us talk about these fun movies. We appreciate it. We really appreciate it. And remember, you can always check out our main feed podcasts and articles and stuff like that. You can go to our store at our website and buy a motherfucking t-shirt uh, soon. But we also have tote bags, gift cards for the movie tote theater and uh, pretty good uh, cups, uh, pretty good coffee mugs. Check it out. Uh, that's enough of that. You guys pay for this. You don't need any, a splurge on any of that. Uh, let's, 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 let's get talking, guys. Let's, let's, let's talk that escape from New York. Let, let, let's, let, let's get into the nitty gritty here. Mm-hmm. And let's, I, I want to, because me and Jeremy have both seen it, I think the most interesting thing, at least to me, probably to Jeremy, and most definitely to our listeners, Robbie, what did you think about Escape from New York? Uh, I mean, I really liked it. The The only thing, and, you know, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen. That's the big joke about it. That me. is true. If, you, if yes. you listen to a lot of our content, <clears throat> the big joke is, how has Robbie not seen this already? And over the past few years, I have I have tackled many a film to see. Um, so there's a lot of things I've seen now. But no, I haven't seen Escape from New York. But usually, usually when I see things for the first time, that's like kind of like old or, or in held, in, held in big regard. Uh I, I usually like really like it, and I really did like Escape from New York. The only issue was I feel like I've seen it already without having seen it. <clears throat> I, and I think a big part of that is you know the movie is influential in its own right for sure. But I'm a big fan of Hideo Kojima's Metal Gear Solid, that was... and that game, those games are basically just carbon <laughs> Japanese ripoffs of Escape from New York to to some extent. Um, with some embellishments here and there, but uh, th- but regardless of that, you know, I, t- I still very much enjoyed the movie. <clears throat> I I really like its world. It also reminds me of like the Warriors. Um, I got a lot of that vibe to it. But I really like this like version of New York. Uh, I love Snake Plissken. He- <laughs> he's such like it's such a he- I I I cannot wait to really dive into like Kurt Russell and just talk about. Like everything that makes that character that character, because it is fascinating to me to examine that level of machismo in this film. But uh, yeah, I really, I mean, like, you know, of course I dug it. The only issue, and it's not even really an issue, it's just that I do feel like I missed the boat of seeing it earlier with this one, because I, I feel like I've seen it before, because it's been in the pop culture uh, zeitgeist it's, for so long. It's, yeah, it's, what's, that's more of an issue of uh, <laughs> culture than it is of the film itself. Yeah, yeah, and that, that that's exactly. Yeah. And that's I think that's something that we're going to now that we're really going cuz you know, before this, 
Assault on Precinct 13 is a very uh, meat and potatoes, bare bones type movie. Very easy to see a lot of other movies that are like that because it's just it's your standard like set them up, knock them down. Halloween you have already seen. Um, mm-hmm. The Fog and Dark Star, very lesser known Carpenters. Um, but now we're like we're breaking into some things like especially with these two movies that are insanely influential on both their separate genres, you know, uh, moving forward. Uh, Escape from New York is very much an action movie, and The Thing is very much a horror movie. And both these genres are changing throughout the 80s in different ways, and you're going to have people going towards the action thing. You're going to be getting your Stallones and your Schwarzeneggers and these certain types of action movies, but you're going to also get your Escape from New York's, which are these kind of high-concept, like, diehard you're going to be getting these things where it's like maybe it's not really the most intimidating main character, but it's the attitude of that character that you're just like, oh, fuck, yeah. And it's so I feel like that's going to be a thing now. And I, ho- I hope it like, you know, you you explain pretty evenly like it didn't ruin it for you, but it's definitely one of the negatives of visiting such like a it's like when you watch Casablanca now, Casablanca is an old movie. It doesn't have the energy that a lot of movies, even in that genre, that have been made in the past couple decades. But you watch it and you go, this is where all of this came from. And that's the most fascinating thing, at least to me now watching Casablanca, which I think is like a great movie. But the most interesting thing to it is that, wow, they were doing all of this stuff for the first time. And now like every movie does this. It's the it's the same thing with The Birth of the Nation, which is like a uh, terrible movie that should be stricken. Um, from the records, if it weren't for the fact that it innovated so much that is used in every single process of filmmaking, even to this day, it's 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 the same thing with you know um, Nazi propaganda and stuff like that. They knew their shit. They knew how to use the tools that we have in movie making magic to like create that magic, and it came from like such despicable, terrible places. It's really interesting to like consider the influence that influences that these things kind of have. And that kind of starts happening when you're dealing with a movie that is regarded for 40 years as one of the best action movies ever that you've heard tons of, that you've experienced, you know, uh, different stuff in different mediums that are kind of, like you said, completely linked to it. I mean, how does Metal Gear Solid get away with that main character of, of, of Solid Snake. Like, that is, He's, like, so... It's, like, the exact... It even kind of looks like him. He I've is... Because always... he feels like more of an uh, homage than a ripoff. That's kind of the thing. I, I think you could tell that Kojima loves Escape from New York. Sure, sure, right. It's not so much that he's just like, this is a good idea, I'm gonna yank it, you know? And, yeah. and that's the difference. Especially because there's a pretty huge gap. Um, well, I guess not, like, not the biggest gap, but when you start to see the real, like polls and stuff like that and Metal Gear Solid and stuff. You're in you're in like the late nineties at that point. Um Metal Gear uh still has like probably even has more like uh inspirations from uh Escape New York, but that's neither here nor there. I've always been told if you're going to steal, steal from the ones that you love and what this as in like if you're going to create something and if you're gonna steal something, steal from the ones you love and fully steal it don't pussyfoot around like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna have these influences and you're going to show these influences like wear them on your sleeve and that's exactly what kojima did and that's like i think it's a very tarantino thing where it's just like i'm just gonna straight up take morricone's music and put it into my movie 
his music from other movies. I'm just going to put it in. And like, I think yeah. I think when you take it partially, that's when it comes across as disingenuine. And when people start to question what you're pulling, like, oh, they're ripping this off. I think that's when, whether you're meaning to rip it off or not, whether that's like the artist's intent there, I think that's what kind of splits your audience going down either way is when is when you don't do kind of what Jeremy said, but you don't like kind of take the whole bit and, and present it in a new in a new way that you have figured out as the artist of the thing. Right. Yeah, no. Jer- Jeremy, what did you what did you think of uh, the, the what the twelfth time you've seen an Escape from New York? So, so I haven't actually watched Escape from New York as many times as I've watched um, other Carpenter films. Sure. Uh, but what I noticed about this, and what I noticed about the thing as well, is how oddly prescient both films are to what we're going through today in like oddly enough kind of a huge way because you got escape from new york which is about a militarized police state which has turned new york city into a giant federal prison and you have the thing which is about uh, a group of people isolated in this one specific area who are paranoid of each other trying not to get infected by this you know like it is its own entity, but it's like it's more or less like a disease. So, yeah. And I for mean, the listener, for the listener at home, he's referring to this is 2012, and uh, <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises has just come out. There was a terrible tragedy. It's all over the news, and we're all just dealing with it in different ways that we can. <laughs> you know, this is this is all like bad things happen all the time, but this is like the worst. Uh, and, and not it, not to oh sorry Jeremy go the, ahead. the the point is what I was getting at is that what I always admired about John Carpenter is that he always has his like you know his finger on the pulse like he displays his movies as like genre pieces but he always has something uh, meaningful to say underneath all of it especially especially like at the time like there's plenty of genre movies that have come out since then that have had like some something prescient and something meaningful to say but like john carpenter was was doing that a lot more than most genre filmmakers were at the time and very and well th- like he's, and, he's yeah. a very i think he's a very cool guy and i think he's a very talented guy but i think he's also a very like he's a very um you know uh intelligent and empathetic guy like he when he approached it, the the interesting thing about the thing which we'll talk about next is that he didn't write it and it's one of those no. few movies that it, he wasn't like writer director in this very beginning most of them have been written and directed by um and i think it's really interesting that he's able to kind of he's just got this attitude that works in all genres because i think he really does like making movies you know which seems you know, kind of silly to say, but I think that is one of the most interesting things about him as a director is that he is, he's very committed to whatever like wheelhouse he's currently playing in for the movie that you're watching. It, it's really weird. And he doesn't, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't bullshit. Sure. Like he doesn't bullshit around with it. His movies are very cut and to the point. And uh, you can tell from just, I don't know if you've watched too many interviews with John Carpenter, but he, his answers are always very direct and to the point and he doesn't like pussyfoot around with like any of his answers and he'll he'll tell the interviewer like the straight up truth even if the interviewer doesn't like doesn't like the answer and that like that kind of personality shows in his filmmaking as well yeah like 
like the escape from New York just gets right to it. Like it sets it up really this world it. and then boom, we got snake Pliskin. This is snake. This is what you got to do. Go do it. And then you're right in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's crazy how like uh video gamey escape from New York is despite it predating like most examples I could name it being so video gamey from like, it's very mm-hmm. much like this is the mission. Here are your tools to do the mission. Go out and do the mission, and then you know it's very it's very like gamified, and you know I I would say it's probably like, uh, its film structure probably lended itself to a lot of like video game structures we've seen since. But to, yeah. to pivot yeah, off to, to pivot back to Carpenter, um, specifically, yeah, I think you know now now being a a newer student of his work, I think it's very interesting that he's. He seems very self-aware. Like he's a genre director, but he's kind of made his style a subgenre, and he seems to be very aware that like he like he's branding a genre with himself, you know. And he's very like even now that he is in, he's entering the the or we're entering the big budget era of of his movies, you know, with Escape from New York, Escape from New York and the Thing. Like he's still like. They they still feel so much like Carpenter movies, you know. It's not like you know you have Kevin Smith going to do Cop Out, and it's like that movie doesn't feel that movie doesn't feel like a funny movie, and it doesn't feel like a Kevin Smith movie either, you know. So that's like kind of weird. But like you have John Carpenter like entering this phase, and like The Thing and Escape from New York, like they feel like Carpenter movies, but they're just bigger, you know. Yeah. They just are doing more, and I think that's you know you. You know, you, you, there's a lot of big name directors that do that, but you know, I think Tarantino's the one that comes the most to mind because he also is always like iterating on his style. And then with like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you see a real like paradigm shift of what's like happening within his own style and like him almost like self commenting on the style that he's developed for so long. And I think mm-hmm. with Carpenter, it's very interesting because he, at this point in the game where I'm at with it, um, it's it's interesting how much he's maintained his own style and how he's like challenging himself and iterating it on himself and it, and it never feels stale, you know. No, and his his stories are always very simple and very to the point. But what makes a simple story like like the ones that he uh, crafts are that uh, he sets up such interesting worlds and he makes the audience like occupy these these worlds that he makes the environment tell the story and the environment is what keeps uh audiences like especially me audiences like compelled into it because like the the environment of this like locked down mass prisoned new york like tells tells the story of the film like even more so than just like the the dialogue and performances it's just yeah, those I, those scenes of uh of snake just like walking around this barren um this barren like torn apart place uh you know it's like your mind fills in the details of what's yeah, going on yeah there's not like a there's not a ton of exposition in escape from new york outside of the beginning like the the mission that's being given which makes sense and the you know. sigourney weaver voiceover yeah or i actually think it's um uh, is it Sigourney Weaver? No, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Jamie, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. I get right. those yeah, two I, mixed up. Sometimes. Yeah, because I was gonna say, like, I think she's uncredited in, in that movie. Right. Um, oh, did somebody say Siri? I think so. Oh. Yeah, my my Siri went off. 
That's so cute. So cute. Yeah, um, that's always remained a very consistent thing, whether it's New York, whether it's the uh, Antarctic base in the thing, whether it's yeah. Hobbs End in um in, in the Mouth of Madness or Haddonfield. Like I can fucking name them all. Well, it's cool with these movies specifically. Um, and I think a little bit more in the thing, but but still in Escape from New York. When you when you do the exposition or like the the groundwork for like what the plot is. Uh, all all the characters' dialogue gets to be a lot more fun because mm-hmm. they're not like bogged down and trying to like s- explain to you what's happening. Like they're like I feel like in all of his movies and and definitely with this one, like like in Halloween, like in Halloween, the characters never talk about like this is going on until they're like kind of freaking out. But there's still like no like being bogged down explanation or anything like that outside of like um uh, what like Loomis is saying. And again, that's like that's that's done early. It's setting it up, and that's like. You know, it's not bad at all. That's fine. He lets the characters <clears throat> be characters. Yeah, and it's cool. Even in this movie where it's like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit like machismo and you're dealing with these like ex-military people and this police state thing. Like all the characters still like feel interesting and they're fleshed out and they don't say a lot, but they're like, like the cabbie is like one of the most interesting characters. And the phrase like, um, oh, I thought you were dead is like one of the best like things in the movie because it's like all these characters get to immediately like infer information upon seeing this character. Mm-hmm. So you, as the audience member get to like, l- you're just learning like a little bit and a little bit. And this character is coming like this more guy, mysterious. This guy's a badass. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, you oh. can even see it just from like the way he looks. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're like, Oh, this guy fucks. Like you can tell. Yeah, He has no fucking you can sleeves. Just tell he has really zippers like. where sleeves should be. He fucks. Yeah. He's got like an old ratty jacket. Yeah. And you can feel the director's intent, and you can feel what kind of themes he's going for just by the way uh, Snake reacts to things. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. You know, this this movie shows a very militarized police police state, and the main character is someone who's begrudgingly working for a militarized police state, but you could tell through the way uh, Snake does things and the way he approaches uh, people that this is, you know... This is definitely a movie that condemns this this kind of world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think like I think like Kurt Russell, his performance in both of these movies, but especially in Escape from New York, is like I think he makes it look so easy that we kind of, at least I kind of forget how hard something like that probably is. Like when 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 this came out. Nobody knew who Snake Plissken was. They had no idea about this New York. This is all a brand new idea. And it's just one of those characters and one of those stories that's just like instantly like, cool. That's a really cool character. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, I want to see that character in this cool idea. Which is why they would just do it all over again, the exact same, like 15 years later with Escape from L.A., which, Robbie, I can't I'm wait for you to watch that. Oh, I mean, oh, I think, uh, I think with Kurt Russell's character, exactly like what you said, Mike, how he's the first to do this militarized version of this character that's like kind of like X. Like Green Beret or what or Special Forces, I think. It's yeah, like Vegas. he's very, he's very like Clint Eastwood well, that, from exa- the Man with No Name say, trilogy. Like, very, he's very, yeah. it's very like the proto version of that is like westerns. It's yeah. the guy who blows into town yeah. with the gun and is doing the thing. You Film know? is very much paced like yeah. a western. Mm-hmm. Very true. That's cool. Yeah. Even you I know, like and that. then even when you see you know, like you you can make the argument now now that we're so many years removed, you get you look at like the Mandalorian and like the Mandalorian, you could trace back to this movie, then you could trace that back all the way back to the like Clint Eastwood movie, you know, and like there's 
there's kind of a lineage of like, and you can trace that back to like Kurosawa samurai movies because yeah. you know this well, sure. and you you know Yojimbo and um and Fistful of Dollars have a lot in common. Yeah. There's uh there's just something real uh it, you know there's something that's easily we all like about the the mean dude who blows into town you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but he's also like kind of a nice guy. He's not real like and like yeah. you know a decent guy. His his morality is is shady and hazy, but he's not doing anything that's like Ugh, fuck that. Like I mean I I don't want to drop this bomb or anything. I don't think we're the three dudes to be discussing this, but. Is Snake Plissken, like, asexual, or... He doesn't fuck, I'll tell you that. He uh, fucks. No, no, like, fucks, don't get me wrong, he fucks. He fucks, but I don't think he fucks. He's all about business. Yeah, because there are multiple moments, even the, like, the like the weird, like, street urchin lady who, like, gets a cigarette from him, who's actually played by his then-current wife, uh, is, Wait, that was like, Goldie Hawn? She's, like... No, 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 no. He marries Goldie Hawn. This is his first wife because he's got like kids with her, and then Goldie Hawn has kids from another oh, marriage. They okay. have like, a bunch of fun stuff. It's I a didn't real think that was good Goldie. American Hollywood story. Yeah. No, no. Uh, and it, it. She's like, she like throws it all down. She's like, let's. Yeah, I'll do anything. Take me with you. And he's like, he doesn't even like feign any interest in it. Adrian Barbeau shows up, and she's looking better than ever. Adrian Barbeau is my favorite. I don't care. I the only person in this movie that I have a deeper crush on than Adrian Barbeau is Kurt Russell, which we're going to get into more. That's the proper once he has a beard. proper lineage of how I, that works. I believe yeah. I believe yes. Adrian Barbeau was married to John Carpenter at the time when the, this was made. Yeah. yeah, yep, yeah. That's like she's in the fog. She's in this. She's the computer voice, the chess voice in the thing. Right. And she's hanging around for a little bit, yeah. Right. This whole cast, like watching the opening, oh, watching God. the opening credits. I haven't seen this in a while, so I forgot like how stacked the cast is. But like, I'm watching the credits go, and I'm saying like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm saying yeah. like, oh shit, louder and louder as each name yeah. is is going on. Uncredit, uncredited. They they uh they hatch the the Steve Buscemi uh prototype too early uh. Oh. And uh, they put they had to put him back in the pod to grow for like another ten years before they whipped him out for Fargo. You talking about Frank Doubleday? Are you talking about the Romero, the guy with the big hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is kind of a Steve Buscemi prototype. I like that. A little bit. Yeah, he's great when he shows up and he's like he's kind of like the first like bad guy who has a face and he just shows up with the with the finger and he's like, all right, so like don't fuck with us. Yeah, I'll see you later. I'm, I, I yep. look I look insane. This is where this is the world that we're in right I, now. I'm going it. back to sticking a fork in an electrical socket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my favorite <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> yeah, he it, it always surprises me um, how uh, developed his character is in the movie. I always forget that he's like, oh, he's like Isaac Hayes' like right hand man. Yeah. And he's in a bunch of scenes and every single scene, he's kind of like the smartest one in the room. He has like he yeah. gets tricked by Brain very quickly just because Brain is literally the smartest person in the story. Like that's how his character operates. But even then he's kind of like it only works for like thirty seconds. He's like, ah, you know what? This doesn't you're not supposed to fucking. He has be the here. most like, like it's- ceremonious death. In the movie too, you know, he has like the most yeah. like long drawn out like yeah. Oh. Uh, I want to go back to Kurt Russell's sexuality because I I'm, I'm mulling yes, I'm mulling it over. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. really, the gear the gears are like on fire right now. Now don't get me now don't get me uh, crossed here. <laughs> Kurt Russell, 
straight as an arrow. Kurt Russell, yeah, no, I'm talking about Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken. I think he's he's like he, shades of gr- shades of gray. I think yeah. that he shades, shades he's of, yeah. a he's a pansexual lover. I think that he you know when you okay. work in special forces, you maybe have to do undercover missions. Yes. You have to seduce, you know, and maybe 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 going. whomever Jeremy, shut the fuck up. Maybe whomever you're seducing, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a lady you guys seduce, maybe it's a man you guys seduce, but he's doing it for the mission. But in the darkest right. of nights, his uh, procl- yes. proclivities vary, you know, and I think I yes. think that's kind of his vibe. The thing is, the fucking is not on the itinerary for this mission, right? No one told yeah, him to. No one told him to yeah. fuck, and that's I think that's the way it is right now. Right. If it's a part of the mission, he'll do whatever it takes, and that's why he's Ooh, well, of course. That's why he's retired because he wants to settle down with whoever he chooses. But it's hard because he's mm-hmm. seen some shit. Yeah, his his first love is. Uh... Who knows? Well, we don't know. We meet him. Camo, camo, camo pants. <laughs> he's like, I mean, he's he's kind of a flamb. I mean, is is he really? He is, is he like, the, now is he like the picture it, yeah. of charisma? No, like he's kind of have like, you, he's kind of a twunk. I don't know. Like that's the vibe have, I get. have either of you guys seen the new Picard show, the Star Trek show? No, I've seen bits and the pieces. New- My parents watch it. There, it's a uh, trash. Uh, there is a, it's absolute garbage. That sucks, um, you probably would. Were I love no, but I love it because I love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't matter. You you throw Trek on there, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like this is obviously a script that was not developed as a Picard, and they're trying to pretend like it is. Fuck you. You just put Picard in there and like kind of rework some stuff. Um, but there's a there's a moment where um, Patrick Stewart as Jean Luc Picard dresses up in like a, a costume like a disguise and he's playing like some kind of French villain, like from like a weird, like pirate adventure where he's got an eye patch. And it is like, listen, Patrick Stewart, I have seen do some spectacularly, amazingly gay shit. Yes. This shit is so unintentionally gay. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. You just look at it and you go, did they mean for this to be this gay? And I don't think they did. And then he starts talking with this really affluent French accent, like, oh, you do not know. Like he starts doing that and it's Patrick fucking Stewart doing it. And so it's one of the most mind boggling. Th- it's so strange. Like that's the, the crux of Picard is that the entire thing is very strange. I mean, I, I think, um, wow. I think, but yeah, eye patches can be a well, little. I think, I think you, you, know, you look at his fucking outfit. I'm like, is this 80s chic ninth, or 1997 future chic, or is he a member right. of the village people and he's the secret <laughs> member who's the secret agent? Like, I don't fucking know. Like, and again, also, like, I I'm a, I'm a queer identifying man, and that's my two cents. I, I, I look at him. I see someone who has, you know, a nice five o'clock shadow. He's missing an eye. He wants to rough and tumble, and he has zippers on his now, jacket. He's not missing an eye. That's true. It's it's a overexpo. He has a sensitive eye. I guess so. Right. That's what I read in uh in like. Oh really? Yeah. The the, the backstory because he show, he showed up like the day to shoot with the eye patch. Like that was never a part of his character. <laughs> and uh, and then John Carpenter was just like, honestly, this fucks. Let's keep it in. I actually but, did uh, not. They, know that. they developed like a backstory where it's like. He got Fuck, gassed yes. or something, yes. and now his eyeballs like oversensitive to light or some shit. Uh huh. Which uh-huh. I, which I'm like, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm, fine I'm that. so fine with that. That's great. Yeah, fucked with yeah, his, there's uh, a scene depth perception on set a lot. Which when is funny. I bet it yeah. did. There's a scene when he's breaking into the bar that he hides out in, where he sees Kurt Russell's wife. Um, and there's a moment where he turns and looks, and 
Uh, I have a very big projector, uh, don't mean to brag, uh, it, but it's very big. And sometimes I'm watching movies that I haven't seen since I was younger when I had a smaller TV. And you can always notice things, the bigger screen. And I noticed for the first time that you can completely see Kurt Russell's fully intact eye oh, through the- <laughs> for, like three fr- for like three frames in between him turning. Like you can see it like moving and everything. And I'm like... That's canon. That's kind. Yeah, that's, not, that's kind of the unfortunate part about uh, remastering these old films is that you see exactly those little. They were blemishes. never meant to be like yeah, especially like in some of the older films. Like you see like the makeup a lot more clearly, and it looks oh, yeah, when, like the face and the neck are like two different colors. And like, it looks it looks yeah. like it looks like when you go to a play and you like st- you like stick around after to like congratulate the actors and they look fucking insane because you're not supposed to see their makeup that close. I think I remember when I saw Step yeah. Brothers in HD for the first time, like, Will Ferrell's face was just like a fucking nightmare to me. I was like, <laughs> it's not supposed to look like this. That was, that was you say probably say the same thing about my face in HD. Yeah, well, you know. That's crazy. Uh, so for the process of time, we can still talk that Escape from New York talk, but let's start moving the conversation over to 1982's the thing so with based off of the thing from another planet and was remade in 2011 into an okay prequel it were these movies okay. filmed simultaneously or back to back or i'd imagine back to back but pretty much like very quickly I would say, john right? carpenter that's another thing he turns this shit out you can see it's like 79 80 81 82 83 84 85 he's just like constantly working yeah. in this stage in his uh he was approached to make this like before he even made Halloween. Right. That's why they're watching the thing uh, in the thing from another planet, the yeah. original movie um, in Halloween that the kids are watching that because he's kind of like, this is a project that I have that I want to do maybe, but it's going to take a lot of time to like, con- con- like do the concepts and everything like that as the story goes. Yeah. One of the things I read is that he, he had the draft for the thing done, but it was before Halloween like was released and the studios were just like, this is way too violent and graphic. Like No one's going to want this. And then Halloween did very well and it kind of opened the door to being like, oh, well maybe there is a, a market for this movie, you know? Uh, well, uh, well yeah, I want to... I watched it. I want to get to that point later. Robbie about like how they thought it was too violent and how the initial reception of that film was. So yeah, I, talk about, I'll, I'll talk it, now, about motherfucker. it. Motherfucker. So this yeah. is like I have a article upcoming uh, for Story Screen that like goes into this more directly. But you know the thing is nice plug. Yeah, thank you. The thing is yeah. very celebrated now and is uh, seen as pretty much like a contemporary horror classic. But it was not seen that way at all when it came out people fucking hated this movie when it came out it got really bad review scores like ebert hated it uh most other uh like prolific film journalists at the time hated it and i think like it just goes to show you how the timing of a film of releasing a film matters so much because this film came out like three or four weeks after et came out and et gave people like such like a warm and fuzzy and like cuddly feeling towards like extraterrestrials it's like oh an alien came down to earth you just want to hug it and then the thing comes out and it's just this like 
brutal, Lovecraftian nightmare, brutal <laughs> and nihilistic. Like yeah, Lovecraftian nightmare that just ends on such like a, like a dour note, and you leave the movie just like not feeling good at all. <laughs> and so I think those emotions that were that intentionally were that Carpenter and company was going for. I think critics at the time perceived those emotions as like, oh, this movie is actually not good. So it's 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 interesting right. to look back on that. Right. It's I mean, it's definitely a button pushing. Like I watched it with Diana and she had never seen it. Uh, she's like, I'd seen parts of it, but I, I don't remember ever actually. She's not a huge horror nut. And she's watching it and she's just like, Ew! Yeah. Like it's. It, I forget how like intense the special effects are. These graphics are crazy. They're fucking They're nuts. Crazy. And like shout outs to they... Rob Botton, who yeah, he didn't he like work himself to death on this movie. He, well, he de- he definitely worked his ass off, and he he became yeah. a very prolific special effects makeup artist in the uh, in the eighties. He, he was like the king of practical eighties effects. Like he did RoboCop as well mm-hmm. like he, he like he built the suit and he like made all like the gnarly ass gore effects in that film too i uh mm-hmm. i actually think i watched both movies back to back and and i always thought escape from new york was gonna be like the most fucking robbie movie ever and i and i did really like it but i actually think i like the thing more mm-hmm. very true i mean i i think i agree with that yeah the thing is just a very Escape from New York is a very uh, humble movie. Yeah, and it's, it's, good. it's uh, great. It's very fucking cool. The thing just has so much going on on every angle. Like, you're just like, the fact that it's as entertaining as it is in certain moments is mind-boggling to me. Because obviously, all electronics, the special effects, all that stuff is really cool. But, like, a lot of the movie is just, like, a bunch of dudes, like, yelling at each other or being well, like, what yeah, the fuck well, is up with Greg? And, like, that's and what that's how doing. they build – that's, like, the really smart way in, in how he builds tension is that, like, yes. you know, it, you they create the idea is just, like, this thing is transferring and we don't know how. And, it, and the way it does do it, you can't see it. It's not like – it's not zomb- it's not like zombie bite equals the thing. Yeah. It's – it's there's no tra- – there, you cannot – there's no way to understand how the transmission works. It mm-hmm. just kind of happens. Yes, and that's and one that's of my br- favorite. One yeah. of my favorite things about it is that they don't over-explain it because how the fuck would they? They yeah, don't have the technology to yeah. be able to go like, well, does it have their memories? How does mm-hmm. it sound like them? What is going on? And like I told, like Diana, I told Diana, I was like, I think that it also kind of has their memories in some way because you see certain people act when you know that they're the thing. You see people still kind of act in like a certain way and know where certain things are. And I think this is kind of done in a way where it's like, well, there are no rules. Like it doesn't, we don't know what the fuck. That's why why I thought the, with the, sorry. (laughs) No, go ahead. Um, The scene with the blood. It makes it makes that point at the end so much more surprising because you see like, oh, this creature can fully integrate itself into the group and be completely inconspicuous until it doesn't. That's the scariest part. Yeah. And it's like I was thinking like the dog acts like a dog. It knows not to be like, hello. Like it's and that's where that's where I was kind of drawing the line. I was like it knows to like walk on all fours to not stand up on its hind legs like everything else around it. Like I think it has some understanding of the of what it's copying mentally. I think That's, it knows, yeah. and uh, but the fact that they never explain it is what's so good because everything else is so tight. You get to see yeah. everything happen. It's this big thing that I'm 
that I'm like talking about right now with myself of all people, which is uh, I recently rewatched Get Out, which I fucking love. And I'm about to rewatch Us for the first time since I saw it, which I have You're not the hottest with. on. You're not the hottest on Us. And one of my big issues with Us is that I think that it does one of the worst things a movie can possibly do, other than star Mel Gibson. <laughs> one of the worst things a movie can do is over-explain yeah. the situations that it's doing because then my big issue with us is as he's explaining what's going on and no spoilers, but as he's explaining what's going on, the same rules for things that he's explaining need to be attributed to other things that have already happened that he's not explaining. And that shit does not lock up. He starts poking really, holes in his own movie. And it's like, this is, yeah, and it's, <laughs> I, I'm really interested in, I'm, I think I'm going to develop a video for it or something like that where it's just really like, I like us. I think it's a, very well directed movie. I think it's a well acted movie. I think it looks great. I, I the, it's the issue is just like I feel like he got a little nervous and just kind of over explained a bit too much. Where it's like if you had just left out like three of those things that we didn't need, which are cool things that you're doing, but now I'm like, wait, so like they always do this or like. They came from what? Like that's and again, I, I don't want to be specific because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody who hasn't seen us. I think that that's one of the things. It's like the shark effect with Jaws, where it's like the shark didn't work, and so they tried to shoot around the shark and didn't show it as much, and that's what made Jaws scary. And the thing, the thing that makes it scary is that we really don't know like how long does it take to do this? What exactly is it doing? What happens to the person? They're getting digested. Like the part yeah. where the doctor is like, oh, 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 oh. Well, like William it, was, it was strange that they went with the uh, the the shape shifting angle of the story, and not so much that they're like the host of the thing, right? And I thought that was a strange thing because I think I think it would have been more interesting if they were like mm-hmm. a ho- the the thing like kind of popped around well, from person to so- person. Have you ever seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers? No, I haven't. So a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland came out right around this time. I think a little bit before. So they might have been hesitant. Yeah. And Uh, also, I think the entire... I think the entire proof of concept, they really did want to do these uh, practical effects and these animatronics. Sure. Like that's the that's the big selling point. You you could still have, like, the morphing, you know? You still have, like, Mm -hmm. the, the... all that's because that's all. I mean, you have to. Have, it's great. It's perfect. Yeah, it's it's, awesome. it's so but. it's so crude. Like when we see shape shifting in movies, you usually see like a gelatinous goop like forms, or you got like the T one thousand and stuff like that. Yeah. This is so raw and animalistic and brutal. Like it's like actually being born. Like it's just like destroying. Well, it's, so, it's it's a nightmare to look at, and I I also really like how you know it's so not human. Like it uses like human biology to like contort itself until like it's like actual design mm-hmm. and um you know another to always talk about video games it just reminds me of uh bloodborne is also like a lovecraftian ish video game and, and like every single nightmare creature in this movie looks like a boss from that game and it's a nightmare it's a fucking nightmare that's the thing um, that i always think about when it comes to like how aliens are designed in media because you know aliens are supposed to be from a completely different place and most aliens portrayed in media have like a basis of earth like like earthling creatures attached to them i think this and the alien in the original 
1979 Alien are like the closest thing I can think of that truly feel like they're from another world. Yeah. Well, they would all look like us because God made all of them. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. On on Earth too, he made yeah other people. I think that's like where we're made in God's image. Why wouldn't he? What the fuck are you laughing at, Jeremy? <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm listening. I'm, Good. I'm laughing. Good. Robbie's You're the one not laughing. laughing. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, uh, it's Robbie laughs fault. in the face of God all the time. <laughs> that's what I try and do. Um, yeah, and, and I think, and again, like I think if you if you didn't do the shape shifting angle and you did like the the bop around from body to body thing, then you can explain why they can use these memories and use these things because they're like in the body, so they can sure. be like, that, oh, that's I'm the gonna, same thing I'm with invasion use, of the body snatchers. This. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait, have you seen like, the, Have you seen the faculty? No. Oh, that's such a Robbie Same. movie. Oh, my God. It's Robert Rodriguez. And, and that's like, yeah, it's Robert Rodriguez. And that's like a high school remake of Invasion oh, of the Body Snatchers. Like, I think it's late 90s, maybe early O's. I think it might actually be 2000. I think it's like 1998. Is it? It's yeah. like somewhere right there where you're just like, it's like she's all that, but Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I fuck with that. He made it like in between like uh, From Dust Till Dawn and like the first Spy Kids, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, that first Spy Kids. Oh, that that so sounds much. like an intersection of of both those movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we, one of the other things I read was that you know Carpenter like would see like Alien and he'd be like, oh, you could tell someone's in the suit, you know. So he kind of wanted to create an extraterrestrial that like was very much like, no, there's not some. It's not like you know humanoid. It is it is something that like you know you're you cannot fathom as like a creature. You know, you're gonna make something that's gonna fucking scar people and make them vomit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it is it is disgusting. It's, it's one of the worst things if you're going to use that word in a complimentary way. It's one yeah. of the worst things ever put on film. Like it I think is that the nightmarish. The, uh, the the head crabs in Alien gross me the fuck out cuz you know that it's like actual like animal organs that they like put stitched together to like make them and then you like hit them with like the same thing and they move and like some fucking nightmare human for a film put that together yeah um and that grosses me the fuck out and then these things are a close second and there's just yeah, what is that, like, it? it's older... like with the with the head dropping down it's like microwaved bubble gum was oh like what God, they used to like yeah. make that and you're well, like you know cool, cool cool you know what gets me is like when it shoots out like the like the the funfetti string from it isn't like, that fun yeah where, yeah when it's just spraying that dog oh at first like bah! and you don't oh, yeah, know the what it's with the doing dog, the scene with the dogs is so fucking terrible like it's, it's upsetting terrible. yeah it's incredibly just, and that's God. it's like you the, the one thing, trying to escape oh my goodness clark is like one of the most uh like sad stories in a movie for me i am always so sad oh, he's, he wasn't infected or anything he wasn't he was infected or anything but he's also head. the one who's yeah. like he lost all of his dogs already none of these guys fucking really care about each other but clark cared about those dogs we're given multiple moments to really show that he's not really in a stable place because he just lost all of his dogs and he's just trying to help and he's convinced that mccready is this thing because the thing is trying to make everybody not trust mccready and he just gets pulled into that and just gets shot in the fucking head because he's just trying to do what's right and it sucks and mccready sees that it sucks like when he notices that it, that he what that clark was not uh, a host or whatever he yeah it hits him real quick he has to keep kind of moving on because he's like a big old sexy boy with a beard and he's got to keep it going you know yeah you know it's i know in this in this movie, he his McCre- McCready's straight. McCready, 
McGretty. He's, I how, he's how, how do you know that? I'm not going to throw Which any one? fucking it's, sexual it's, orientation I'm assume, on I'm him. Assuming, it's, I'm assuming it's, his... Yeah, it's assume interesting away. That you assume say, away. It's interesting that you say that because he's completely surrounded by he's big... He's in isolation by, with boys. By big, yeah. beefy bear men. And I believe this entire production, there wasn't a single woman on this. Fuck yeah, just the way it should be. supposed to be. It's just John and the boys. So yeah, it's interesting. It was, they were that supposed to be, but I think someone was got pregnant. No, no, no. Adrian Barbo is the voice of the computer, the chess that beats him. I, I the mean, first, she, the was, first she death. wasn't on set. <laughs> yeah, I she mean, wasn't on, on set. set. On set. But she's in a, a movie. She's the she's <laughs> the first true. death. <laughs> That's true. She's the first. She's the death. first one to die. Yeah. Yeah, but how about speaking of first in this? How about that opening shot of like it's a spaceship crashing into the planet? It's it's probably one of the weirder things of this very weird weird. movie. It's very strange because it starts out like like a fifties like sci fi movie, and then it just like goes into like eighties grunge horror. It's weird because it's like it like. Why? Like, why is it a flying saucer? And like, we don't really. Do we see? Do we go to the crash site of the flying saucer? Yeah. Nope. Is that what they have to go to? I mean, that's where they go to. Like, the idea is that there's the crash site, and then they dug out because the thing got out, tried to get somewhere, froze to death, and now it's frozen there. But if you watch 2011's The Thing, you get to Mm. visit that spaceship. Uh, so I saw that there's a 2011. Mm-hmm. It's a sci-fi series. It's or movie? no, it's a prequel, no. and it's basically the story of those Norwegian people, the Norwegians that they, that they find. Yeah. But in the beginning but of the movie. they do, and again, they. I think it's very cool. It's obviously a rewrite, but they do like no, this is a Norwegian base. They're off season right now. We are inspecting this, and no one can know about this. So we're all here. Just be quiet. Everyone thinks that this is just a Norwegian base. We're all speaking English. And um, this is Greg. He's the Norwegian janitor. And that's the guy who gets out of the helicopter at the beginning who's just speaking Norwegian because he can't speak English. Very clever. Uh, <laughs> the movie The movie is very stupid. And one of the worst parts about it is the thing that makes it really suck. It, like the movie sucks. But like there's a lot of good stuff about it. The one thing that makes the movie really suck is they tried to make all of the stuff practical using the same machinery and techniques that they used uh, 30 years ago, and they shot everything. And it looks – you can look up online, and you can see all of the stuff they developed, and it looks awesome. It looks so fucking cool. I saw cool. some pictures of it. I'm like, is this, is this actually good? Like, and, it looks kind of cool. And the studio yeah. was like, that looks like shit. Cover it all up with CGI. And so now the CGI in it is slightly bigger than it should be because it has to cover up all the actual practical things. And it looks like shit because they had to rush it and they didn't have enough budget because they just spent all their money on these practical effects. It's it's one of like the biggest wastes. Uh, I I hope that they one day release the cut and they kind of touch up and finish up those guys. And that's something that we'll get maybe 20, 25 years. Like, do you think think people care about what I hear? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's as many fans as like Justice League for the 2011 prequel to the thing where that where that's like? You think so? Yeah. I do. You think they? (laughs) That's it. That's all I have. Yeah. When do you think we get another thing? When do you think? When do you think the next one? Because don't need one. Not for a while. Uh, I fucking watch it. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those for another one. Yeah, I, I'd watch. Fuck I'd it. watch anything that they want to fucking spoon feed to me. Num num num. I can see uh, uh, Escape from New York remake. Happening this is what I was gonna say. Is like uh, Escape from New remake. York is like the perfect movie to remake because it's yeah. really good as it is. 
And you can do so much more with that now with like a slightly bigger budget. But the whole thing with these remakes is like you don't need to pump $120 million into this. Look, no, I've, no, got my, less, I've got yeah. my issues with the jokester. But if it proved one thing, if you do a movie like this and you do it on a smaller budget and you keep it fucking down and you give it the proper marketing that it needs, you can make fucking billions of dollars. Well, the thing the Joker had going for it is that it's oh, a beloved please IP. Do. It's a uh-huh. beloved IP. It's a no, no, no. You know, the Joker so it's like the thing, and I, I mean, not so as thing. much. Not sure. as I mean, much. Certainly I not as time it was released. Yeah. Well, yeah, no. But I mean, in terms of in, in the remake uh, climate of right now, mm-hmm. the Joker is going to have more pull than any Carpenter remake. But I do agree. I, I want an Escape from New York remake as bad as I want like a competent RoboCop remake. <laughs> I, want a Robo- I want a RoboCop remake so fucking bad. I yeah. want it so fucking bad. Yeah. I, th- I think the original holds up perfectly. Yeah, I mean, they all do, right? But I mean, I, yeah. I but it's like, and yeah. do you know who was going to play Snake in like the remake for Escape from New York from like uh, like five or ten years ago when they were like toying around with it? Who? Nah. Gerard Butler. Fuck that. You know who would actually be good? <laughs> I could have said like any name and it would have been like, ah, fuck that. Like, a- Get Kurt Russell to do it, cowards. Well, I was well, going to say Wyatt Russell. His son. Very true. He looks exactly like him in the thing because Wyatt Russell usually has a beard. Yeah. And I was looking at him like, holy shit, he looks exactly like uh, his dad. Yeah. But what if the they? Thing. What if instead of like being you know going the the remake route, you know, you, they had so much success with the Halloween reboot sequel. Why don't you do? I think that's the better way to go is do something that's like a sequel to. Well, they try that and like, you know. did you see? You saw Terminator Dark Fate. You you that's just a, a nightmare. You that took a glimpse a into the Dark Fate. You saw not, what the fate they, was, and you saw you that know, it was dark. They ain't all gonna hit, man. They ain't all. Well, gonna hit. Was, you make a you make a thing. You make a thing that's a sequel. Another Norwegian guy lands yeah. somewhere and does some shit. You know, maybe. Well, maybe no, no, works. you can't just make a direct sequel. You need to like kind of reboot it, but also like take a couple of the good ones. Like, you need well, to this make one, Terminator franchise. One and Terminator yeah. Two are canon, and uh, Terminator Salvation, like uh, uh, one third of it happens, and then like you know we're gonna take the last five minutes of uh, what is it, uh, Terminator Requiem or whatever the fuck they're called. Who can like those kind of happen? Terminator Dark Fate fucking sucks. Yeah, and it's uh, again we talked about this. The thing that the thing that sucks the most about it is that there's something really good there, and none of it is capitalized on. Like there's really cool stuff, and nothing pays off. And you're just kind of like, I mean, it is one of the best uh, Arnold performances we've gotten in a bit, and that's one of the things the movie's got going for it. Yeah, but it's also like he's not there. There's nothing to do. I saw a uh, there. There's a, a YouTube channel called the Corridor Crew, and they do breakdowns of like good and bad CGI, and they just like talk, talk, talk that talk about it because they're all like very good CGI artists, and they break down the intro to Terminator Dark Fate, and none of that shit, like none of that shit, is real. Pretty yeah, much. it's crazy. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty crazy because it's like because that is like that's the us crossing the unca- uncanny valley. Like we're, we're moving beyond like. Princess Leia face no work no, like don't work no good in Rogue One. That shit I was just like I can't even fucking tell the difference right now. It it's looks cool. that it looks that good. Yeah. And then I don't like the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, guys, uh, let's uh, let's uh, start wrapping up here. What else we got to say about the thing? Well, Come on, I want to talk about both of the films and how they end. Yeah. 
Go for it. Because they what both they both end on like pretty bleak notes. You know? I felt like Escape sure. Escape from New York ended on a pretty bleak note where where Snake does all that work and he's and he he does he does the job that he's supposed to do and he gets like nearly fucking nothing for it. Like Donald Pleasant's the American Dream. And like Donald Pleasance yeah. as as the president, like just is like, oh, you know, uh, he did guys did a good job and like we we thank you for your sacrifice and Snake just fucking <laughs> walks away with like nearly nothing and like <sighs> Isn't well, he fucks crazy? him. He, he fucks him over though, because he gives him the other tape, which is yeah. Great. Well, yeah, he he gets him because he's about to like. I I read that as like you know, let's see what this guy's got. Is this a good yeah. guy? And I think the casting of Donald Pleasance, especially at that point in his career, was a clever kind of like underhanded thing because Donald Pleasance typically plays people who are you know it, it's this is long from like THX one one three eight where he's playing like a snidey shitty guy. He's usually playing kind of characters of like at least. Uh, uh, knowable morals like you can tell like oh this is a this is a good guy this is a this even child. if he's like a little weird but like it's in this one you're kind of like you don't know until the very end you see like oh this guy's like kind of an asshole yeah and I think he's kind of like testing it like maybe I'll give him the tape if he's like who who is this guy this is the president I don't give a shit about him I don't give a shit about his country let me talk to this guy and see what's going on and he reads right through him like this guy is just an absolute sucks. piece of shit, and yeah. I'm not going to give him anything. Yeah. And, and the things ending, it's like the the film keeps you guessing, like until the credits are rolling, and like the, those those last few shots of of Keith David and Kurt Russell just like sitting there and just kind of like looking at each other, like you know they defeated the thing, but it still makes you feel like uneasy about what's going to happen next. Well, because they're they're the they both are kind of like we have to make sure we actually ended the ended this thing right and you know i think the the kind of dramatic irony that's there is that you know if if one of them are like if they didn't defeat the thing and one of them are infected like it's neither one of them can stop it you know like it's like they didn't contain it and the thing likes being cold so if one of them are the thing it will most certainly survive my without a doubt my controversial read on this that i always get shit for um, because the point is supposed to be, um, you don't know. I yeah. like to, I like to read it 100% as, um, uh, a child's is the thing. And okay. I know that that's not, that's not implied in there. You know, there's nothing, but I always like, I, and I, the reason I, I affirm it down is the idea of, uh, the last survivor of this movie and the bad guy of this movie sitting down and having a drink as they're both about to freeze to death is a very cool idea. And that very moment when that happens, when Childs takes a sip of the drink is when the thing theme pops right back up for that ending going into the credits. The Childs takes a sip and it's boom, boom. I think the boom, only boom. thing is that we know, we know the thing can survive in the cold. I mean, we know the, th- that's, the thing, that's the whole thing. The they're cold. both like, so, yeah, he's that's... about to die and freeze to death. And the thing is going to freeze to death or freeze and then freeze, yeah. they're gonna come find him in the spring and be like oh these bodies let's whip them on out and then it's the end of the world yeah that's that's the beautiful thing about it is that it's so ambiguous that you could probably just put your own ending to it like yeah. carpenter's been asked that same question like hundreds of times by interviewers and he never gives them an answer he never oh, of course an and good for him he doesn't have to fucking, why the fuck does he have to right, right. Yeah, he doesn't have to I mean, mother think... the fuck out of this 
I mean, I'm thinking, like, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, how many of his movies even have, like, a concrete, like, happy ending, and, like, the, I mean, not, I mean, there's such, like, human cost during the course of it, like, even if, like, everyone's like, oh, we're good now, it's like, yeah, but we lost a lot of friends along yeah. the way, so it can't be that good, yeah, you know? No. John Carpenter's Jurassic Park. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. I've, I've always been... I just, Curious. I just see. watched uh, Jurassic Park uh, on the. I, I watched it at the theater because uh, I had to run the system. You have to run it every now and then. And while I was doing it this time, I was like, "I'm going to watch something." And so I threw a DCP of uh, Jurassic Park up and watched that. And um, good movie. Yeah. Uh, don't know if you guys remember. It's a I really it. good movie. I believe it. I think it's in, it's in my top. Do you know one. that you don't see the Velociraptors in that movie until there's only 20 minutes left. Right. Isn't that fucking crazy? There's only 13 minutes of total dinosaur scenes. Yes. Well, that's the, the other thing that's so much fun. That's the magic trick. Yeah. The magic the trick. Magic. I've always been I'm curious. I'm like uh, Jean-Luc Picard with an eye patch. I've always been oh, curious to see, like, in an alternate universe, what the James Cameron Jurassic Park would have looked like. Hey, man. Was he, was he attached to, like, he, do it? After, after Aliens came out, uh, uh, he was, um, he <clears> was approached to write and direct the film adaptation of Jurassic Park, but he uh, he passed on it. I'm just thinking of like what the color colors of that would have looked like. Yeah. After after seeing the fog, probably and like he do- pretty blue. Well, I mean, he does a lot of things where he James you know, Cameron. He, he'll have oh James Cameron. James Cameron. I thought we said John Carpenter. No, no, James no, 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 no. James, yeah, James oh. Cameron. James Cameron was attached. To uh, to direct I'd, I'd still be into that movie. Yeah, it would have been John Carpenter's. Uh, I'd be fu- I'd fuck with that movie for sure. Oh my god! I mean, Ro- this Rob is... Botten dinosaur effects. Could you imagine? Yeah. One of the best things about this entire series uh, that will be going on until the very end is where this all ends, which is with John Carpenter's last directed movie, The Ward. Which oh, man, don't say anything. Though Robbie hasn't seen it, he doesn't know what's going on. I don't know. So, like, on. that's the fun thing is that we're going to go through, all, like, we're in the sweet zone right now, baby. So, is he? We're in the 80s and the early 90s where John Carpenter is like, masterpiece, masterpiece, great movie, masterpiece, great movie. And then we are going to get into some fucking shit. Oh, no. It's going to be great. It's going to be we, great. Are we, like, on the precipice I, of shit? I, or? No, absolutely no, not. not. No, no, no. We, we're just getting started. Yeah, we're just getting okay. started. Yeah. It's. Cool. Cool, there cool, are, cool. I mean, there's uh, there's some weird ones in there. We're going to watch a certain Chevy Chase movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's some odd ducks in here. But one of the things I will say about Carpenter, and this will be a bigger, broader conversation when we do those epi- when we do those specific movies, is that unlike some other aging directors, Carpenter, I think, knows when it's time to take a break or call it quits. And that's yeah, yeah. why, like, he directs a movie in, I believe, 2002 and then does not direct another movie for like over 12 years. And when he comes back, it's kind of a return to like the, his Halloween roots. And that maybe doesn't go over as well as it should. And he kind of gets that. And he's like, well, I'm going to focus on my music now. But he's not out of the game yet. He's got he's to have say, one is more he, in him. Is he like retired, retired at this point? He's not like officially retired. Okay. He's just like, he's not making movies. He's, he's an executive producer on the new Halloween movies. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, I think they they talked to him all, and he did the music for the new one too. Yeah, yeah. him and his son. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's something that rocks. they they yeah. needed to be able to like sell that project. Is like you have to get John Carpenter's not just his like okay and his blessing. You need to get him involved, and yeah. luckily he was like totally into it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's 
That's a good call for any, if, you know, I feel like in the early 2000s is what I'm saying is that they've tried to do a lot of Carpenter remakes and they're just, they're fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I mean, I think we'll see some Carpenter remakes at some point, but yeah, these two movies, I'd love to see more of like, that's the thing, the the world, I'm excited that there's a Escape from LA. You better fucking be excited about that. The the thing, the world of the thing, and specifically that, like that world specifically, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh man, I'd love to spend more time with like this creature and, and the and the characters that have to deal with it, you know, in different planes. Like I, I really am into it. I think it'd be interesting to do, you know, cause he's got a couple, you know, you know, obviously there's so many Halloweens. Technically he wrote Halloween yeah. too. So he's involved with that one. And <clears throat> I think it might be interesting, like the fog and the thing, like these are movies that he made that got remade that are, you know, not great. Uh, but I, I think I that would be got a... the fog got a remake. Oh baby, Jesus! Oh. And and yeah. what is it? They... Well, Pirates of the Caribbean is the prequel to the fog. Yes, yeah, you right. are. They're the first. They're the first pirates. Yeah. That's our episode, lady. Well, we have to end them. <laughs> uh, no, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, anybody got any more closing thoughts on the thing or Escape from New York? I know we had said like uh, bringing up some movies uh, that we think like kind of inspired these things. Uh, we kind of talked about a bunch already. Uh, I was going to mention real quick, um, I think a movie that is uh, really kind of like a, a pretty fun, like, I think the 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 connection between uh, Escape from New York and Die Hard is an interesting one because they are not very uh, kinetically linked, but I think that there's just like, there's something about that connection that kind of makes me smile and kind of go like, I feel like maybe one might not have been able to happen without the other, you know? Well, it's it's the premise of the the lone wolf stuck in this place where he has to get out of and every corner is hostile. Right. That's like inherently compelling. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mentioned like Escape from New York's kind of effects on on Metal Gear Solid but video games in general. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at something like um you know, Batman Arkham Asylum you know, that's kind of like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it, get the fuck out of Arkham. Yeah. Get the Joker, get the fuck out of Arkham. You know? I mean, like, there's, even there's especially something Arkham so City. Basic Arkham there, City you know? is very escape from Arkham New York. City is, exa- is like pretty much that. Yeah. You know, there's there's something like, and it's just, that's why I think it's so crazy. Because like, again, Escape from New York predates any, you know, the, these exa- these are modern examples I'm bringing up. Like, you know, contemporary examples. And it's just like. Oh yeah, it all it, you know you can you could trace it back to this movie. I don't know if it directly influenced a lot of these design choices, but you know maybe it does. And then I think with with the with the thing like you know the tropes of taking down the whole crew one by one, not trusting each other. Thing you know I, I, we've seen that yeah, definitely like many times. The the most direct inspiration, and I I say I say direct because it utilizes a lot of the same material is is the hateful eight. Yes, because. That that film actually uses un- same composer. Well, it's uh, it's the same composer, Ennio Morricone, and he, they actually used unused songs from the thing yeah. in the Hateful Eight, and it's a very similar premise, just without the alien. Or is it? Or is it? Yeah, I haven't seen Hateful Eight, so Hateful Eight. Fox. I believe Honestly, it. if I you're gotta, if, I gotta watch it on like Netflix or yeah, something. Yeah, if you're gonna watch the Hateful Eight at this point, I'd recommend watching the miniseries version. Yeah, I think I will. Yeah. It'll give me prime for the um uh Snyder Cut 
television series, the, eight, the eighteen part Snyder Cut oh, movie. Jesus. God, I am you know, so. I actually, I'm so ready to just like make sweet love to that. Wait. It's gonna be great. I I got uh, HBO Max. Like my my family got it through our uh, cable subscription, and like Robbie, if you want to ca- if you want to catch up on like classics that that you've missed over time, HBO HBO Max has a yeah. massive selection yeah yeah it's I, I was looking at i was looking at what they have and i was like fuck man i don't need another how much is one it, of how these much is it a month things. though i don't know well i don't know I, we get it through cable 10 yeah but i already got i got hulu i got netflix i got amazon prime those are the, like the those are the three that i i would say everybody needs to have those and if you've got yeah, the extra so. you should have an hbo because that's got the best shows and they get warner brothers movies which is one of the major studios and you got to get shutter baby you got, I got to shutter. have the shutter. I don't know if I'm gonna have shutter be, shutter uh, beyond us doing this podcast because I got it because I was like I know a lot of right. these movies are on shutter, so so I'm doing that. Escape from New York was actually taken off shutter, but it's but, on Amazon. But Prime. it is on Amazon, so it yes. like it, the thing is not on shutter, which I thought was weird. It was, it was for a yeah. while. I mean, that's the that, that's the cool thing with shutter. They keep things for about three months and like get something else on there, yeah, but it'll good. always come back. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I always, I kind of think that's a problem with Shutter is that they don't hold on to like the real classics for very long. Well, why don't you just get to it, Jeremy? Quit, quit just time, adding man. shit to your queue and just being like, yeah, well, yeah. I guess I'll, I guess I'll get on DVD. No, don't look away from me. Always look at me DVD. when I'm talking. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at my computer screen is yeah, directly looking yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah. You're you're in the down square on Zoom. Oh, he's in the right square on me. I'm on yeah, the right you're, square. You're down. I'm down. I'm you're down to I'm me. I'm the right square. Thank you so much for listening in on this episode <laughs> of Stalking Carpenter. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on this Absol- week. Any, any time. Yeah, we hope to have you on another one once we start breaking into some more cooler stuff down the road. Uh, sure. Robbie, glad you liked the movies. Yeah, no, I I do really like that. I don't mean to sound not super hot on Escape New York. I did really like. Yeah, it. no, and but that's an interesting really thing that's like even more broader than Escape from New York in general is just like being aware of these gigantic movies in a culture that you love movies. You're going to see things that are inspired by, and you're going to hear things about it. So when you finally watch it, it's kind of just like I've kind of experienced this already. Still very cool. But you you kind of you kind of miss out on that big hit, which is why you should watch yeah. movies uh, as quickly as you can. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I uh, I'm a sucker. You know, I'm a sucker for uh, like computer screens and oh, shit like that in yeah. movies. And Escape from New York has the best. And that th- that's actually the thing. The thing I like the most about Dark Star is actually just like the yeah, design yeah. of stuff. There's a lot of Dark I don't, Star. I, I don't really care for the this, movie. Yeah. There is with that yeah. one. Yeah, I don't care that much for the movie in general, but. Mm. And, like, when I had to edit the video about Dark Star, like, my favorite thing was, like, I can't wait to find more fucking computer screens doing shit. <laughs> like, I love that shit Dark, so much. <laughs> Dark Star, Alien, and Escape from New York probably has, like, the best 70s, 80s, like, future computer mm-hmm. stuff. Well, yeah. actually, the Alien was written by Dan O'Bannon, who yes. also co-wrote Dark Star. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, and it's like more, Alien, more of a connection there. Alien came out in 79, and it's got that great like crew expendable, and that's kind of the exact same thing they use in The Thing in 82, which is like, yeah, you know, you know, this thing gets out, it's going to eat everybody. Like, that don't... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we need, we need to... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. What are we doing on the next guy? Next guy, we've got... What are the next uh, ones? Christine, Christine is next. Yeah, Christine and Starman are our next ones. So, you guys skipping Elvis? Uh, we're going to be going back to Elvis at some point. Because we, we, okay. um, we did Dark Star, because we were like, we need to put something in with Fog so we can have New York and The Thing line up. And have a better lineup going on, so we cheated a little, but we're we haven't forgotten Elvis. We're we're gonna be going back because there is a certain TV Elvis movie the... coming up that I fucking love, and we want to partner it with that. Is is Elvis the first Kurt Russell movie with John Carpenter? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of like his, like, let's do that. And then he did The Fog, and then he did Escape from New York, and everything. So we'll get away from our Kurt for a little bit, and then we'll we'll come back come back uh but guys thanks for hanging out and talking that carpenter and uh, we'll catch uh, you listeners on the next ep bye Yeah. Mm-hmm.